state on today. Thank you, Audrey. Let's pray before we get started. Jesus, thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to our hearts, you would open our understanding to it, that we would be challenged and encouraged by what you'd have for us as we seek to follow you. In your name, amen. We've started off the new year with a short series on spiritual disciplines, uh, or sometimes called spiritual practices or habits, whatever word kind of fits for you. These are ways that followers of Jesus have uh, enjoyed kind of pressing into God and that have been passed down to us. Ways of fostering a, a relationship with God, taking time for Him. And we talked last week about prayer and reading scripture, kind of the two basic ways that we get to know God. And this week we're going to talk about simplicity. Uh, before we get there, maybe why, why do we need to talk about simplicity? One of the things that happens as we learn to follow Jesus is we discover that it means uh, turning towards him, right? Turning towards him as the Lord of our lives. And as we turn towards him, we realize we turn away from other things. As we turn to him, we turn away from other things in life. And some of those things are the ambitions or the anxieties that our culture kind of puts upon us, or the things that in our culture are just so central, uh, so you know, kind of all-consuming. But Jesus invites you into life with him. He invites you into a forgiveness of sins. He invites you uh, into a new relationship with him and with a new family of God. And he invites you out of a slavery to sin into a new place of health and life and joy in him, found in him. And a, a big part of that is where where you now find your security and where you now find your identity. Before Christ, you may uh, want to find your security in something else. We all long to have a sense of security and identity and meaning. And apart from the Lord, we are searching for that. And maybe yourself in your own life before you came to the Lord, or uh, maybe today you're in that place where you don't know Him and you're kind of wondering, what's my life about? Who am I? And maybe if you've been a Christian for a while, you can remember in your own past when you were trying to find meaning and identity and security on your own. And you can tell me whether that panned out well for you or not. But at the end of the day, it doesn't work. You can't satisfy that itch to find security and identity apart from Christ. He's the only one who can remove the sense of slavery from sin, the death that we bear because of our sinfulness, and give us new life. When we turn to Christ, like I said, we turn away from some other things. And through him, we find a new kind of life. And that life can be summed up in many different ways. But one way of summing up the new life we find in Christ is this passage here in Matthew. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is the first thing that we seek. When we come to Christ... When we begin to follow him, it's like God reorganizes our priorities. Or we learn to reorganize our own priorities as we, as we get to know him and follow him. So before we know Christ, there might be a way in which our lives were centered on certain things, certain ambitions. Uh, and you can fill in the gap of what that might have been. Uh, it might have been being a sort of person that you wanted to be, kind of crafting a persona. Well, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. Uh, it, for a lot of us, there's an allure to kind of climb a corporate ladder to identify ourselves by our work, uh, by what we own, by uh, 
who we know, right? These sorts of things. Jesus calls us, rather than to, to find our meaning and identity in our wealth or in you know, who we can kind of put under us, he invites us into a life of love and of serving one another. And that is the way of simplicity. It's an invitation to a more simple way of living where we're not sort of tied down by the ambitions and uh, the sinful desires of our own culture. I'll get into that in a minute. It comes, the simplicity comes when we anchor ourselves in this one desire, which is to seek first the kingdom of God. And when that becomes the central anchoring point of your life, it reorients how we uh, go about everything else in our lives. If the main point of my life is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus says, other things in life will fall into place, right? All these things will be added unto you. You don't need to worry about your clothes or your food or this sort of thing. You don't need to worry necessarily about the provision of life and how that's going to go. When you seek, uh, when you set God first, when you seek his kingdom first, other things in life will begin to fit into place. Now we're taught uh, in our culture to find security in something. And uh, usually it's in something. And this has led, if you didn't know, if you didn't notice, to a rather sort of insane attachment to stuff. Have you noticed this? Uh, probably the first time in human history we rent out storage spaces that we fill with stuff that we won't look at and uh, it'll sit for years, right? And uh, because we don't have enough room. You know, we've just, we've got lots of stuff. Got lots of stuff. <laughs> Sorry, I laughed at the microphone. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, I don't have a storage room, but I have lots of stuff. And there's stuff in my garage that I haven't looked at since we moved in. There's just stuff, I don't even know what's in the bins. There's stuff in the bins. There's stuff from moving that we've never unpacked. You've moved a few times, you know this, right? There's, there's those boxes that you just bring with you. They never, they're never open. We don't know what's in them, but they come along with us. You know, here they come. It's, it's humorous uh, when you kind of sit back and go, yeah, all this stuff. But we, underneath that is uh, an attachment to things. And it's not that things are bad, but there's an attachment to our own possessions and the stuff we have. Richard Foster, who writes a lot about spiritual disciplines, he talks about this, and it's so, it's a little bit unsettling because I find myself here as well. But we live in a, we live in a time where to not have the latest thing is almost considered to be out of step with reality. Uh, have you noticed that? Where if you don't sort of have the newest whatever, there can be this sense from people around you, or friends even, or within yourself, this sense of I'm, I'm out of step, or I don't quite have the, I don't have the thing I should have. And that is a narrative that's sort of told to us, that comes back to our own kind of consumeristic culture. We're taught that uh, you know, our vehicles and our homes indicate the kind of status and person that we are. And Foster says this, he says, our, our covetousness, we now call ambition. Our hoarding, we now call prudence. Right? I might need that someday. Just because. And our greed, we call industry. We call it working hard. 
And in all of this, Jesus calls us to a really different way of life. It's not a life defined by what we own, or a life defined by how much money you have. It's a life following him. And that confronts this, this tendency to find our security in our stuff. And that's what, again, this passage is all about. Don't be anxious about all this stuff. Seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, so it's been said that Jesus speaks to the question of economics more than any other social issue. I, it surprised me when I read that, but as I thought about it, it makes a lot of sense. We can come into our faith thinking that the Bible's kind of ambiguous about wealth and about how I use my money. It's just really not true. The Bible talks a lot about our, our money and our spending and finding your identity in your wealth or your possessions or not. It talks a lot about that. So, for example, in the Old Testament, uh, the law takes exception to the idea that you can hold private property. And that just kind of goes on and on in, in perpetuity. Uh, rather, right, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's not your property. It's God's. You might steward that property for a time. It's not yours. It's not yours to do whatever you want, but that kind of kind of rubs you the wrong way a little bit, perhaps. Like, no, no, that's fine. Right? I own this. Or paying my so paying towards it anyway. Right? It's mine. In the Old Testament, you also have uh, the year of Jubilee, and it's stipulated that all the land, this happened every 50 years, all the land would go back to its original owner. So if there had been an exchange of land and money and that sort of thing, everything would just revert back to who had it in the first place. Which is kind of hilarious, right? Like in our minds, you know, you think, you know, I bought this field and I've got this acreage and like this is mine, passed on to my kids all of that. And in the Old Testament, there's just none of that. You have what, all that you need from the get-go, and if there's been an exchange of some kind in 50 years or less, that's going to go back to the original owner. If you had to sell some land in order to have money to kind of get by for whatever, within 50 years, you're going to get your land back. It's going to revert back to you. What happens in that society is it actually addresses the whole idea of the wealth becoming wealthier or becoming poorer. You don't have that problem anymore. You can't have the richer just become more and more rich at the expense of, of others. It just doesn't happen. Because there's a radical redistribution of wealth built into the society. Isn't that interesting? It kind of sounds like communism sometimes. People have an issue with this. You know, is the Old Testament communist? What's going on? It's a little bit before communism. It's okay. But there's this sense of, of this isn't mine, this is God's. And we share this in love together for the purpose of growing growing together in him. It's not about me getting ahead, which more often than not means you get behind, right? As I get more, someone else is paying for that. It's a radical view. I'm not saying we need that necessarily right now. But it's a radical view, and it's an example of how the Bible speaks to the issue of economics and money and stuff, possessions. The other thing the Bible warns about, which is so important for us, and definitely applicable for us, is this. There can be an inner slavery or an idolatrous attachment uh, to our wealth. Uh, the psalmist says, if riches increase, set not your heart on them. I think that's probably wise advice. Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. 
Be strong, words. Luke says very similarly, Take heed, beware of all covetousness, or greed. A man's life doesn't consist of the abundance of his possessions. And then think of the row of sword chains, right? Right. So if the Lord places such a strong emphasis on the spiritual dangers of an idolatry to wealth, or finding your security in your stuff, how much more should we, when we live in such an affluent culture today, take heed of this? This, this so applies to us today, whether you, whether you think you're rich or poor, we live in one of the richest cultures and countries in the world. And so how do we, how do we take heed of the biblical wisdom? How do we seek first the kingdom of God and not let our identity be run or our ambitions and our desires be overrun by a culture that disguises greed and covetousness and uh, pride, right, in what we own. We need this. It's such a check for us in our own hearts, of our own, am I, do I have a latent idolatry in my own wealth and my possessions? Simplicity, as Jesus recommends, is a way of life that it counters all of that. It counters the idea of, of finding my identity in my stuff. Now, before you get the wrong idea about, okay, Bible song, I just need to get rid of everything. You know, it's all terrible. Uh, that'd be the swing really far the other direction. Uh, before we go there, remember, God intends that everyone should have provision. So the material world is not bad. In fact, if you read Genesis, what do you what do you fold over and over? It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's very good. You know, it's really good. This is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's. The material stuff is is good. But the, the scriptures declare constantly that you know having possessions isn't evil. The material world's not evil. It's the it's the wrong love of money. It's the wrong love of your material possessions that gets you on the path. It's when those things take a place in your heart that, you know, dethrones God in your heart or it you know, makes you turn inward uh, that you're no longer loving and serving one another. That's when you run into trouble. And it's so true. Like, we don't need a lot of evidence to look around and go, yep. When, when I come into money or I'm thinking a lot about money because I don't have money, it reorients my life around an idolatrous uh, sense of finding my own security. I'm no longer trusting God. And Jesus' recommendation of simplicity is a way of saying, God, this stuff is, is good, the possessions are okay, the material world's good, but I need you to be the center of my life so that these things can, can kind of be in proper order. Does that make sense? It's putting the first things first. We want to seek first the kingdom of God, not how big I can grow my RRSPs, not how much land I can have, not how big a house I can have, right? As much as having land is fantastic and having roof over your head is really good, it's putting it in proper perspective, right? Saying, no, this goes here, God goes here, down goes here, right? Anything that takes the place of God in our lives, friends, it becomes an idol. And uh, the love of money, because it represents security and status, just easily becomes an idol. Because our hearts are slippery, folks, aren't they? Like we think we're going in one direction, and we realize, oh my gosh, I'm doing this for totally the wrong reasons. Yeah. <laughs> our hearts are slippery. So simplicity, getting back to simplicity, is about learning to be content with what you have. 
And it also means learning to discover what is it that you truly value about your life. What are the things that you value most? And then living into those things. I'll talk about that more in a minute. But when our center of our center of life and our desires are rooted in Jesus, we can learn what it means to be content, as Paul says, regardless of the circumstances, right? And and now my life is kind of grounded on this relationship with God, not how much stuff I have or whether my car is new or you know whether my house is this big or whatever. It's rooted in God. It's, it's not based on what I'm wearing or you know whether my hair is cut right, whether any of that. It's, it's rooted in Jesus. So Jesus reorganizes our priorities. And, and so simplicity becomes this, this counter check in a culture that's kind of obsessed with what you own and how you got it and your accumulation of your stuff. Now the danger, whenever we talk about simplicity, the danger is, is just to swing so far in the other direction. So if we're over here saying, uh, you know, the more I get, the better. The more money I have, the better. The better I look. That's what matters in life. And the way of Jesus is pulling you this way, saying, no, actually, those things aren't that important. What matters is dealing with your sin, finding forgiveness in me, and then reorganizing your life based on around me. So we start swinging this way. The danger is to swing so far that we start legalizing or, or prescribing a certain way of living as Christians, and we just start judging each other. So it would be wrong to take this discipline of simplicity and then think, well, that guy's not good enough because he didn't give enough money. You know, he's not, he's not generous enough. Or like, that guy's a really nice house, so he's not very good Christian. You know, or like, that guy's got a nice car. Well, he clearly doesn't follow Jesus. Right? That's to take this in the wrong direction. Does that make sense? You can't do that because then you start judging people. It's not about loving them anymore. Right? It's not what Jesus would do. So you can. So often, when it comes to living the Christian life, it's about living between two extremes. Right? So over here, if I make my life all about ambition and money and wealth, that's wrong. But if I go way over here and I, I take on a kind of voluntary poverty where I'm taking advantage of other people and then judging everyone because they do have a car or they do have a house, that's wrong too. The way to cross is right in the middle. And often that is true in life. It's not about the extremes. It's about kind of understanding the kind of moderation in the middle. So, think about simplicity not just as a list of things to do, but this inner attitude. What's the first thing in my heart? What is the simple truth in my life? Is I'm following Jesus and I want to seek first his kingdom. That's the simple thing. And that's what reorganizes my lives, our lives. So if, if anything other than that is the root of why you start making changes in your life, it will go sideways. So if it's good for you to go, uh, it's bad that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. You know, it's good to care about the distribution of wealth, but if that's the main reason for living a more simple life, it, it'll go sideways. It's good for you to care about the exploitation of creation, because the earth is the Lord's. Uh, so where that's being abused, it's good to care about that as a Christian. Uh, but if that's the central point for living a more simple life, that's not that's not right either. It's good for you to reflect on your own life and go, am I just consumed by some sort of rat race? Like, is my work just a mess? That's all I think about. That's, I have no rest. I have no time with my family. I need, to, I need to do something different. I need to simplify my life somehow. If that's the source, it's a good reason. 
But if any of those things are the main reason, and the main reason for you to simplify your life is not to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it will add you in trouble. The first thing to do is to seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Does that make sense? Don't come at this with the wrong kind of ambition, as much as it may be a good one. The reason to simplify our lives is to say, Jesus, I want to make you my first love and my first desire. And then Jesus highlights some really specific things that happen when we, when we choose the way of simplicity. And he says in this passage here, it gives you freedom to trust God. Look at verse 32, 632. The Gentiles seek after these things. That means those that don't know the Lord are consumed, so you could say a secular culture, is consumed with the sense of wealth, greed, accumulation of stuff. But your heavenly Father knows that you need, you know, a roof over your head, food, clothing. He knows this. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this fact will be sorted out. Jesus says simplicity gives you a freedom to trust God with all things. It also gives you a certain joyful unconcern for your possessions. And because of that, uh, has nothing, simplicity has nothing to do with whether you have lots of stuff or have a little bit of stuff. It's all about sort of this inner attitude of putting Christ first. Uh, it's not about being rich or poor. It's about loving and trusting God. Just because a person is living without things doesn't mean they're practicing simplicity. Uh, because again, it's not about how much. It's about the root of your love. So if you're loving your stuff, whether you have a little stuff, or you're loving your stuff because you have a lot of stuff, and that's become an idol, that's the issue that Jesus is getting to. So simplicity does a few things. There's an inner attitude of freedom from anxiety that Jesus talks about in this passage. There's a new trust in God as our provider that Jesus talks about here. There's also this sense of generosity when I realize that Christ is first in my life and I actually don't need all of these books on my bookshelf. I can give some of it away and bless somebody else. We did that this summer. Like I, I really like books. And so we, we, we both did. And so we have bookshelves with books, lots of books. And they're great. There's some I've never read, you know, and you kind of sit there and go, like, is this really adding value to my life? Or am I just cluttering my life with some of these books that I'm never going to read, you know? So when we had a grab sale this summer, we purposely went to the bookshop and we're like, okay, let's really pare it down. Which books are really adding value to my life? Which books am I going to read again? Which books have I read and I know them? And if I really want to read them again, I could just get them from the library. But do I need a physical copy of this book? And there was some, I do. Chronicles of Narnia stay. Lord of the Rings stay. Uh, you know, a lot of books from school stay. You can say, I got some more books in my office, right? Uh, so there's certain ones that stay. Watership Down stays, you know. Uh, some old sci-fi stays. You know, there's some good ones. Uh, and then there's other ones that I'm like, oh, you're going to read this. Three Musketeers stay. <laughs> uh, Oliver Twist stay. So some of the classics stay. Uh, and then my old kind of this much stuff. We don't talk about books. But the point was this: Are these really adding value to my life or not? Am I just cluttering my own life with my junk? Right? Can I just give this away to bless somebody else? Because really, Christ comes first anyway. And as much as these point me to Jesus, and they do, uh, do I need three copies of this book? No. Let's give them to this other person. It was so cool. At our grad sale, someone came and was going through all my books. There's a lot of like Christian books, you know whether it's fiction or, like, textbooks from school. And so, like, nonfiction stuff about church leadership and blah, blah, blah. 
And he was going through them, and he was really interested in them. So I kind of sidled up. Which you don't really want at a garage sale. You, know, you, don't want, you don't want the guy that's selling the stuff to come up to you. Like, no thank you. I will look at my own stuff. And I'll pay you later. Don't try and sell me stuff. I'm at a garage sale. Right? But anyway, I just kind of sidled up to him. Because he's looking at all the books that no one, most people don't care about. And I said, you know, like, I see you're interested in exploring the Old Testament, blah, 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 you know. And he was like, yeah, I actually, I, uh, I have someone I know that's going through school. And these could really help them. I was like, yes. And that's the whole point, right? I've gotten my value out of some of these books. I didn't need them anymore. And as much as I like seeing a full bookshelf, do I need a full bookshelf? Does that really bring value to my life? When I could give these away, I mean, I sold them, but made them available for someone else. And they totally put somebody else, right? <laughs> Simplicity, it, it gives you an inner attitude of freedom from the anxieties of life. It puts your trust in God as your provider. And it, it breeds a sense of generosity. Rather than clinging to our possessions, we begin to share them. That's kind of the inner value of simplicity. But now, what are the outer things? What are the, what, how does this come, kind of come out in practice? I'm going to give some suggestions about reducing the clutter in your life so you can better see first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The danger of giving any suggestions, the big warning, is to note these aren't rules. Okay? Whenever we attempt to give kind of advice in this area, it just it runs the risk of turning into a legalism where if, you know, if you're not doing this, then you're not a good enough Christian. So don't hear that. These are not... These are not legalistic things that you have to do to be a good Christian. It's not that. These are loving suggestions to you to reflect on your own life about, do I need to make some changes in my own heart so I can better see first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Loving suggestions as your pastor to you. Okay? You can reflect on your own heart. You're the only one that can make the changes. I'm not, I'm not prescribing the change to you, but uh, this is for you to think about in your own heart and your own soul. Does that make sense? So don't take this the wrong way. Now, you can follow along with these in the handout in your bulletin. So there's that handout with the red thing at the top that says Practicing Our Faith, and there's a bunch of number of points in there. And look at the front page, the one that I'm going to look at is the one with the big red along the top. There it is. Keith, can you hold it up so I can see? That one. There it is. All right. Loving pastoral suggestions about living a more simple life. Okay? Not legalistic rules. If you don't do this, Nick's going to judge you. No. No, no, no. I do that messed up. I'm on the wrong path here. Only you can make these kinds of changes. So, first thing, buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. That's a big one. Don't buy the stuff for prestige. Buy it for utility or long-term value. Okay? Buy what you need to be practical. Okay? Fair enough? Second thing is a big one. Reject anything that's producing an addiction in you. So whether that's like alcohol or tobacco, uh, but I would not stop there, actually. I would say uh, if it's coffee or tea, and you're finding I can't live without this, uh, if it's pop, if it's chocolate, again, the stuff's not bad, right? Don't hear what I'm not saying. The stuff isn't bad. The inordinate love for it is bad. So the story is told of this guy who uh, he always had the newspaper delivered to him. Something you have, this, right? Newspaper cups, whatever it is. Um, and he was looking around one morning, like, "Where's my newspaper?" He never showed up. 
And uh, he was getting really anxious about it. Like, I need to read my newspaper over breakfast, whatever he did. And uh, it just wasn't coming. And so he went to wherever the newspaper people were, and he was like, I need my newspaper. And then it dawned on him. I'm addicted to my newspaper. If the newspaper's not bad, newspaper's good. But if this has caused me this much, this much anxiety in my life because I don't have it, that's a problem. So we canceled it. Just canceled it. I don't need this anymore. Because it's, it's messing up my priorities. That's an example. It's not the newspaper's bad. I'm not saying cut everything up. I'm saying lovingly reflect on your own life. Say, Lord, is there something here that really just distracts me from following you? Whatever that may be. If it's creating an addiction, like if it's TV or Netflix or Facebook, like cut it out or just cut it back. It's not saying it's all bad, but cut it back. Okay? If money has a grip on your heart, folks, give some away. Simplicity is about freedom, not slavery. And so you're asking, am I enslaving myself by any of these things in my life? Is this stuff I'm an inordinate hold on my heart? And choose to only be a slave to Jesus. If you're a slave to anyone else or anything else, that's a problem. Say, Lord, I follow you first. Okay? If, sidebar, if you are experiencing addiction, your resolve alone will not get you out of that. And so I would encourage you to find good help, leaning into the grace of Jesus for that. Okay? Just saying, I'm going to get over this one. necessarily. So if you actually are experiencing addiction to something, that's worth finding professional help for. And that's good. That's good. Number three, practice generosity. Foster the habit of giving something away. Right? Freely receive, freely give. Deaccumulate. The masses of things in our lives can just, just complicate things. Right? On the other hand, what is it that you love? Is there something that you deeply love? And uh, you just don't have time for it. It's okay to have things you love. Like, again, I love books. I didn't get rid of all my books. I kept some. But I, I took time to go... Uh, is this adding value to my life or not? Do I need this many, this much of this stuff? Okay? Fourth, develop a healthy skepticism to advertisements and propaganda about the latest gadgets. This is especially bad in the toy industry and in our electronics industry. Remember, just this year, Apple, really bad for this, Apple announced the iPhone 8, and then like an hour later announced the iPhone 10, skipped 9, <laughs> altogether, so that if you bought an iPhone 8, you already knew you didn't have the latest one. You were already behind, even though it was new, right? It was already the sense of, I don't have quite the good enough thing. So develop a healthy skepticism to that. Five, learn to enjoy things without owning them. Owning something can become a bit of an obsession because you can control it. I'm not saying you can't own things. I'm just saying you can enjoy things without owning them necessarily, Okay. Develop a deeper appreciation for creation. This will help a lot in terms of your own sense of all your stuff. So take a walk. Go marvel at a tree. <laughs> Found a snowy owl in my backyard the other day. It was so Be cautious of the buy now, pay later schemes. I think I don't need to tell you why that's not a good Reject anything that breeds the oppression of others. This is a big one. Friends, in a world of limited resources, does our lust for wealth mean the poverty of somebody else? Should I buy this product if it's forcing someone else to be in poverty in another country? That's a good question to ask as a Christian. 
in Everyday Christianity, the author's group of U.S. church leaders, they said this. It was so good. I had to write it down. When we purchase goods and services, we can choose to support companies that defend human life and treat workers fairly and protect creation and respect other basic moral values at home and abroad. And we can also make conscious efforts to consume less. Friends, when you purchase something, you're voting on your spending power. Think about what you're doing. Think about Number nine, weigh the use and presence of technology in your life, particularly social media. Um, here's the thing with social media, it's fantastic as it is to find friends on Facebook that you didn't know from years ago, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it, it affords you the chance to create an online persona that's not actually reflective of yourself. And so you can post all the good things in your life, and it makes it look like your life's fantastic, and it doesn't show everything about life. They've also done studies that indicate that when we get notifications on our phone saying someone liked the picture or texted us about it, it triggers the same neurological response that happens when we get hit a cocaine. It's that stimulating and that addicting to get that sense of approval from someone else. You can see how quickly that slope can send you. So think about the presence and the use of social media technology in your life. I'm not saying Facebook's evil. Do you need to be on it for hours every day? Are you looking for identity and value in how many likes and responses you've got to whatever you posted? If that's so, you need to check something in your own heart. Your identity is not in how many people respond to on Facebook. Your identity should be pressed upon. Okay? Does that make sense? And the last thing, shun anything, this kind of sums everything up, shun anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. It's easy to even lose focus on good things. Uh, even, say, my family, my family's really important. That's an important responsibility, God-given ministry in my life. If I'm not serving love my family well, no, I've really messed it up. But if family becomes more important than Jesus, that's also messed up. That's not good either. To love my family well means to keep Jesus central. Jesus calls us to follow him so if anything else gets in the way of him uh, you'll start to feel the ramifications of that, you'll start to not do well so does that make sense? that's some ideas, loving suggestions for you to consider practical suggestions of living out simplicity maybe decluttering your life, thinking about where you're spending your time friends, simplicity is about growing growing a deeper walk with Jesus. It's about making room in your life, saying, I'm free from all this stuff. It doesn't define me. I'm finding my identity and my hope and the purpose of Christ alone. And that desire to find our identity in Christ alone only comes when we have given us. It starts with an encounter with him in the gospel. It starts with his forgiveness for us and his love for us. And so, friends, if you've never taken that step, that's where we need to start to say, Jesus, I want to make my life about you. You died for me. You raised life to give me new life, to open up a new uh, way of having a relationship with God again, forgiveness and salvation and joy. Start there. That's what God has come to do for us. And then he calls us to walk. And that's why I say your salvation or your conversion is not the end. It's a beginning. It's a new beginning to a new way of living. And simplicity as a discipline can help us continue to walk in um, so friends, is there is there an area in your life 
that's become something of an idol. You know? Is there something in your life that's it's it's slowly slid into being the center thing in your heart and your life? You, maybe you didn't even want to realize it. There it is. Is there something that's robbing you of time? And what do you really value in life? Is there a hobby that you love that brings you joy that God's gifted you in, but you just don't have time for it because you're busy doing all this other stuff? You know? Come out some of the other stuff. So you can embrace your painting or your woodworking or your whatever. You know, do it. I love reading, but I don't take a lot of time to read. I'm too busy doing a bunch of other things. What are the things that uh, are most important? Christ in the center, do you spend the time with him or are you distracted by stuff? Family support, do you actually spend time with your family? Or do you just stay there and work? You know, write down the values in your life and then take an honest look and say, do I actually live into these things? Or do I just stay there and work? If you value your children, do you spend time with them? Your grandkids, your nieces, nephews, etc. Simplicity is about gaining a sense of freedom to live and follow Jesus. Not about restriction. Keep that in mind. It's so important. So friends, let's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If there's stuff in your life you need to declutter or get rid of because it's distracting you from him, get rid of it. It's not worth it. He's way more important and way better and way more fun than all the others. If you need to simplify your life, find a new freedom in Christ, friends. I so encourage you to do that. Because simplicity will breathe that, that new sense of trusting Him as your provider, a sense of, of letting go of the anxieties of life, and a deeper sense of generosity. You can give of the blessing that you've been given. Alright? Let's pray.